Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get themselves bent out of shape in this industry when like their clients are very risk averse or their ideas are like maybe a little different than the client, the product type they're working on. Mm -hmm. That has the best of us. It certainly happened to me. But I do those projects as my job is to push it forward. And if I got five, if I got the client 5% better, I'm sleeping well at night. <laughs> and I think a lot of people try to get their like artistic endeavors out in, in advertising or social media. And that's when you burn yourself out. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast, where I unpack and narrate stories of ambitious people who turn obstacles into opportunities. My goal for this podcast is to create a platform to narrate underdog stories and maybe play a small, teeny tiny role in inspiring you. I intend to highlight the underdog mentality and make authentic conversations with people who play the long game, take action with the chip on their shoulder, and convert obstacles into opportunities. Buckle up, as I'll be bringing some authentic founders, VCs, community builders, and content creators who got underestimated their whole lives. And yet, they beat all the odds to become insanely successful. Now, today I want to tell you a little bit about our awesome sponsor, Acquire.com. Selling a business is as tough as building a business. As someone who went through this process once, selling my own startup, I know the pain it takes to get to the end zone. This is where our sponsor shines. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers, and generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing for, for whatever reason, lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck. What should you do? The story I'd like to hear is you buckle down, somehow reignited the fire, get past yourself and the cliches, and start working on your business rather than just in the business. You start building an audience, move out of your comfort zone to do sales and marketing, and in six months, you triple your revenue. The reality isn't as simple. Situations may be different from every founder facing these crossroads, but too many times, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the, become business, the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. If you find yourself here, or your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on Acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is a smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. Go to try.acquire.com slash and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, folks. I'm super stoked and excited to bring this guest on this podcast. First of all, uh, grateful for your attention and time. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. Uh, today, I have an amazing guest who's I've been like following for a while. And oh my God, where should I start? I think I've, I've learned a ton about writing. I don't know. I, I don't want to say like viral content, but at least good copywriting, you know, uh, <laughs> And I learned a ton about social media, the strategy, campaigning, branding, advertising, a ton. So without further ado, uh, Jack App Appleby, welcome to the show. How are you feeling, Jack? Uh, that was a very kind introduction. Uh, I'm great. I'm excited to chat. Like it's, it's Helping people learn how to do this kind of stuff, that's kind of the whole reason I do it. Absolutely. And for folks who don't know Jack, Jack is also dubbed as, at least you know, to me, 
is the startup Steph Curry. I recently, <laughs> I don't know if you all saw this video, highly recommend. I'm going to put it on the show notes as well. This guy shoots like on the spot, like, you know, he's like in Mike Breen's, the famous commentator who said, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> I'm trying it's like man. that. I'm trying, like I'm just turned 35 and trying to keep the dream alive and play as long as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. You're killing it. You're killing it. But anyway, for folks who don't know Jack, I want to do like a proper, proper induction. Uh, let, let's start here. Jack is the creator and writer of Future Social, the newsletter that enlightens more than 60,000 marketing professionals about the intricacies of social media. With over a decade of experience in the industry, he has channeled his passion for social media, creativity, content, and the, the love for doing incredible campaigns that have impacted companies like Microsoft, Beats, Spotify. Man, I can go on and on. NBA, Twitch. It, it's a big, big, long list. Also, his passion for uh, internet marketing you know, made him start an amazing newsletter called Break an Egg which I'm a big fan of. I'm a paid, happy paid subscriber uh, with Amanda Getz, who's a phenomenal person. Shout out to her. She also uh, joined this podcast, you know, a few months ago. But uh, Jack is phenomenal. Like, you know, his, 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 the way he writes, the way he breaks down uh, social media campaigns, be it Mr. Beats, Mr. Beast's uh, YouTube uh, channel breakdown or uh, some of the campaigns, some of my favorites. He also as one of the amazing things on his crown, which is like he's, he was senior creative strategist for Twitch. So, of course, you know, that's where like a lot of amazing campaigns happen. But yeah, I can go on and on, but let's actually dive into the mind of the amazing Jack here. Jack, want to like really start off by asking this question, which I think uh, you, you get asked more often. How do you keep your creativity you know, juice up. Oh, um, I mean, that's the hardest part of these jobs, right? Is to, is to be creative all the time in a way mm. that's also strategic, in a way that makes sense for business goals. Um, I, I think my personal biggest hack, I suppose we could call it, is like I am a heavy consumer of social mm. content and entertainment. Um, mm. For the first five, six years of my career, I think I did that the same way a lot of social strategists do, where I was looking at what other brands were up to, like seeing how, what kind of content they posted. And I think that's how most of us approach this industry. Um, and as I became more and more versed in the space and more and more interested in, in the creativity behind things, I started looking at pretty much anybody except for the competitors of products that mm -hmm. I work on. Um, I think it's really easy to get caught up in industry trends and things can get a little monotonous. Everyone starts making the same style of content. Right. Um, so I really looked outside of the brand world. Um, I'm fascinated by creators. I think creator storytelling is is wonderful. Um, I mean, I'm a creator myself now. Mm -hmm. um, I get my inspiration from everywhere. Like th there's a lot of, uh, I can't tell you how many tactical social ideas I've pitched where I got those from watching how like, a small little emo band posts on Instagram. So like I'm a heavy consumer. Um, and I, I'm also, I think besides just viewing a lot of content, I think theorizing about the content's really, really important. Um, I'm mm. I want to break things apart and know how they work, why they work. If I see something go viral, my first wonder is 
why that went viral. Was it the okay. hook in the first three seconds? Was it an emotional story? Is it someone who just has such an audience that people are championing them at all times? Like, mm. did it feel like you got algorithmic push for some reason or another? Like, just constantly theorizing about social is maybe the most important thing you can do in this space. When you say that's a that's a very fascinating way to look at things. Uh, two two observations I just had. One is, I think James Clear said this uh, when he writes an article. I mean, he writes a lot. He, he's an amazing writer, right? With the Atomic Habits book, uh, one of the things about his writing process is he seeks everything as in like an eagle that that is looking for food like you know with with the, with the hunter size like what can i seek from this what can i seek from this so that's one great observation i feel you create great content you have to consume uh great content so number two is theorizing uh social media content so i want to i think the first topic is very well talked about right like yeah. to consume you have to like you know to create you have to consume a lot but let's talk about like breaking it down uh, uh you know all the breakdowns that requires a level of observation and seeing things from a different angle so how do you how did you develop that like what is there like a secret sauce that you want to share like that you know hopefully other people can view it as well you know it's funny like i've been in the social space for 12, 15 years now, depending on how you count internships and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the longer I work in social, the more I believe it's really just all about fundamentals. Like it, it's, mm. it's not, there aren't some deep analytical surprises that are coming up that are generating like strong versus poor performing social. Mm. Maybe some of the emotional triggers have changed as the formats have changed. Like, I mean, when I started, Facebook didn't have video when I started in this, mm. in this career. Like YouTube was a 301 plus network at one point, yeah. like where like it took wow. a full day to get the actual real time stats. Yeah. Um, so I think some parts of that have changed over the last decade or so. But honestly, like uh, I, for me, like I, I think the, the most important thing you can do if you work in this industry now, scroll TikTok, mm -hmm. wonder why that piece of content was put in front of you and wonder why mm -hmm. it's resonating with other people. And the things mm. that I would say, like the same way we approach brainstorming content, that's the same skeleton that you start to pick apart when you view content. It was mm. the three second hook really interesting or not? Were there visual cues on the screen that got your attention? Why did it get your attention? What mm. triggered you to go look at the commentary? Was it the caption on the post or was it something that said in the CTA? Or are you this kind of that social user where you're always curious what's in the comments? Mm. I, I think you have to ask just so many questions. Um, and it's not necessarily the most natural thing, but I think mm. that's what's more important for brainstorming than anything is analyzing why other concepts perform so you can bring new ideas to brainstorms. Mm. It's it's more of like, uh, I wouldn't call it imitating, but it's kind of getting inspiration from uh, and applying sure. what what worked for them in our own space. Because, you know, I think these the famous brands like Burger King, Wendy's, they do things in a very different way right now because of, you know, TikTok and the vertical video uh, being very popular. People have very little attention span, like 10 seconds, you know, even less. Uh, but the other part of it, when you say just scroll to 
through TikTok is that it's a rabbit hole, right? It's right. it's a never-ending game. So how would you kind of say that this is where I end? Like, where is that full stop for you when you consume? You know, it's it's, what, it's funny. Like, when do I log it's, off? Yeah, when you when you say like, you know what, this is the end. Yeah. I'm going to like, you know, I have I have my tank full. I don't want overflood my tank. Um. So you know, I don't do that scrolling time. That that's not part of my process as far as when I have a specific assignment. That's mm. just kind of part of my day. Like I think anybody who like, if you sure. work in social, you probably scroll social. You probably have social. Um. I keep that part of my brain going in my free time. It's never a, I have an assignment or I'm consulting for someone and I'm looking for something. And then I like, I'm like, oh, I should go scroll social media X amount of time. It's mm. more of like, I'm really into efficiencies. Like how can I make my day as fast as possible, as effective as possible? So I do think, I think one of my superpowers is I don't burn out on social media. Mm. I find it really interesting. Like I'm able to stay in it probably longer than other people are. Um, it's allowed me to spend more time theorizing and making stuff. Like what fulfills me as a, like, not just a professional, but as a person is creating things and then mm. understanding how the world perceives those things. Mm. That's why I can have, like, I'm a marketing influencer on Twitter and LinkedIn and with a newsletter. And then completely mm. separate from that, I'm a basketball content creator on Instagram and TikTok. Mm. I mean, I have three other TikTok accounts that people don't even really know about that have 50,000 followers each. That are just in like mm. little niches where it's like things I want to explore because I just love making things. Mm. I think that's you're kind of like a you're very well balanced, like a Yoda. You know, you know where to that's basically general. start, where to start and where to stop because it's very hard, Jack. Let me tell you this: like you know, even though the process is so approachable, but having that balance in the mind and converting that consumption to creation. That's pretty hard. That's like, that's, that bridge takes a lot of, uh, I would say, mastery to get controlled and then, you know, immediately switch to like, okay, let's actually use this. Let's create something because it's a rabbit hole, right? You know, you know better than me. You've been, you know, here well, for longer. I think a caveat to all this is like, right now I'm in a spot where I'm a creator. I make what I want to make. Of course, I do that strategically. I need to sure. build my audience and know what serves them. And like, it's like future social and my Twitter and LinkedIn, they're not creative outlets. They are strategic outlets. So I have to approach them as a business. Sure. Um, but I think an important caveat away from the creativity is when I was working social jobs, of course, like I, I wanted to pitch the best ideas I could and, and felt mm -hmm. very qualified to do so. But I didn't get my like creative fulfillment out of mm -hmm. my advertising jobs. I viewed those, my job as I need to push my client to make the most effective creative content possible. And my metric of success was that I get them 10% further than I did last time. Mm. I think a lot of people get themselves bent out of shape in this industry when like their clients are very risk averse or their ideas are like maybe a little different than the client, the product type they're working on. Mm. That has the best of us. It certainly happened to me. But I do those projects as my job is to push it forward. And if I got five, if I got the client 5% better, I'm sleeping well at night. <laughs> and I think a lot of people try to get their like artistic endeavors out in, in advertising or social media. And that's when you burn yourself out. Mm. Do you think, uh, 
that 5% push, do you think people aim and flip that to 95% or 100%? That's where they get burnout or uh, where do they, I, I think, think, they think about the job that way? I think, I think there's, so social media has exploded over the last 10 years as a professional industry. Uh, there are more jobs than ever. And a lot of those jobs are between entry-level and mid-level jobs. So there's a lot of, there's more social media managers in the world than there's ever yeah. been before. Mm -hmm. um, I think human beings love to be creative. The reason mm -hmm. we all have Instagram and post photos or post stories is we enjoy expressing ourselves that way. And I think when you enter this field, a lot of people are entering professional social media. They're doing it because they love social media, mm. not because they love marketing or not because they love selling things. Mm. I was fascinated by all of the above. And I, I think in retrospect, I'm finding that was maybe the most important thing for me is because I wasn't interested in retweets if my client's product didn't sell or our brand lift didn't increase. So mm. I think what... I think there's a lot of industry things that cause burnout. Overwork is very, like happens all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. Unreasonable bosses, too many expectations <laughs> of team of one. There's a laundry list of reasons that mm. are out of a social media manager's control that cause burnout. Mm. But I do think an unspoken part of this is that there's a lot of self pressure that social professionals put, put on themselves where mm. it's, Every post has to be perfect. They get asked to post something by their boss they don't think is strategically correct. They die on that hill instead of going, like, eh, that's one post, who cares? They need their creative ideas to go through as 100%, which doesn't happen ever. Um, and just things like that where I just really hope people don't burn themselves out. Mm. Not just burnout. I, I think I want to add one more topic, which is which applies pretty much to everybody who's actively want to build a brand on personal brand working for another like you know company regardless to add to that burnout i think people go hard on themselves and which will lead to self-doubt which will eventually lead to low confidence which will lead to like okay i'm actually quitting this because none of the metric is moving i mean all sure. the retweets and all they're good but they're like at the end of the day they are the vanity metrics right they can anybody who posts like you know viral content or a meme meme oriented content will get those numbers. But I think in your words, the true strategic way is what I feel uh, people should really rely on. Like, you know, any, any personality creator working for someone, I feel that mind shift change really helps uh, because mm -hmm. I think that's a very fair point, like to add to that burnout. Uh, so you've had a ton of experience, you know, of course, you've covered you know all that in many podcasts, but I want to ask like, have you developed a, a you know a set of frameworks that you handpick to different different phases of your creativity levels? Like when you, for a say, you are about to burn out, you have like a framework that you pick and apply so you can come back. Or when you are at the highest of the highs, how do you keep maintaining that creativity? Is there is there like a set of frameworks that you use in your uh, archery? You know, there's not, um, for better or worse, there's not. Uh, and I think that's where I've probably caused myself stress by not having that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to just be like templated social media is where brands go to die. 
It's very, mm. very hard to be successful in a templated format. And that's not to say there's not wonderful brainstorming and creativity tools. Um, there's all kinds of exercises, storytelling exercises, uh, like big blue sea brainstorming. I personally was never trained in any of them and I don't really use them. Um, I'm very much open brainstorm. No idea is a bad idea. Let's keep banging it out until something feels right. Um, do I think that's made it incredibly hard at times when I'm, I'm over busy with things? Sure. Mm. Uh, but I also think that thinking openly about that is why the concept I worked, I've worked on over my career has performed. Hmm. Interesting. So I think, like maybe not a helpful answer. Um, right. I think that goes back to where it's like, I think the way people use those creative frameworks, that's where I almost go back to the, the theorizing and analyzing that I do. It's like, mm. like, I didn't do this on purpose, but early in my career, I became like this encyclopedic resource for my agency where it's like, oh, like you want to know something about like what a brand's doing? Like, just go talk to Jack. He's probably seen it. Mm. And because I just consumed so much, I was able to share so much. And like, like, I would just, I'm more interested in pulling reference points than I am using creative exercises. Mm. I see that, that that's a very beautiful point. Like cre pulling that reference points itself is 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 a way to build up that creativity right like one sure. so a brand that that executes a, a content strategy you can pick few things that applies to another brand which is completely different completely like you know on another planet right i think that's what i really like about uh, what you do in you know in your content future social as well uh, your breakdowns uh, let's talk a little bit about platforms you know, I want to talk definitely about uh, two things. One is LinkedIn, uh, you know, X, Twitter, you know, one sure. question, how are you feeling about Twitter under uh, Jack, you know, versus X under Elon? Like what is, what are some biggest things that you've observed that you love and hate? Uh, so it's funny. Like I, I've definitely been on the, Elon doesn't know what he's doing train. Uh, I think, I think Twitter is categorically worse since he's taken over in almost every way. I think Elon's launched a couple of products that I, I really quite enjoy. Um, mm. I think long form tweets, it's insane that the mm -hmm. former Twitter regime couldn't figure that out. They tried mm -hmm. to do like Twitter notes, which never made any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the functionality he's brought. Mm. Really, that's that's the only positives I have to say. He's upset brands in a way where I don't know if he'll ever get trust back. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I will be the first to say, I don't think Twitter was well-ran during Jack Dorsey's era. I don't think they were nailing anything. Like, I think they were terrible at props. I think they launched incredibly mediocre features. And sure. most of those features would be in public beta for a year. And any hope they had of becoming a, like a regular consumer use tool was gone because the hardcore users had seen either betas or terrible versions and that just mm -hmm. didn't make sense. It, it often felt like the people at Twitter didn't use Twitter. Mm. So give me the old group over Elon's group any day of the week for things like public safety, mm. um, for things like a general like promise of platform professionalism is the wrong world, just like kindness, which is becoming increasingly rare on Twitter. Um, right. And this is where I think a big part of, of what really disgusts me about Elon 
is I think leading by example is really important. And I think, I mean, he is the most, if he's, I forget if he's the number one or number two most followed person on Twitter now. Mm. Um, if he acts the way he acts, which is like a petulant child who's had his ball taken from him, <laughs> it encourages everyone else on his social network to act that way. And it mm. encourages people who are not great, like toxic's a, a loaded word, but encourages people with really bad behavior to feel empowered. And, in, right. and people who don't want that type of social network have no trust that it'll ever be a safe place. Right. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a debate that I intentionally avoid because, you know, you, you can see uh, just the way the country is divided into like two different parties, like politically, it's the same way, you know, people love what, some people love what Elon does. He, he they think that, they they can bring that you know trolling nature which is fun you know to a certain level and all that which is you know exciting and all but I I agree with you I'm 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 on this side which is the reason I love the previous Twitter than this one even though despite like all the product features you know the access the you know the fastness and all like the long form everything you can upload like hours long video it is increasingly becoming a platform where you go uh, to troll others or you can be the negative side of humanity, right? Like uh, and when a world leader like himself posts memes that are so ridiculous, and I think, you know, it sets a wrong, wrong example in, in, in many ways, right? So that well, opens up. To, yeah, I mean, listen, like politics are a touchy subject. And this country is more divided than it's ever been. Regardless of whatever his politics are, which I, I don't know what his politics are, to say you want to start long-form content on Twitter, make that a bigger part of the platform, and to pilot that with Tucker Carlson mm. gives a very specific message to the people who use Twitter. Right. That is, at best, an incredibly polarizing person. And right. at worst, someone who is maybe bigoted, maybe does not like view certain people in like a ethical or moral way that sends a message to what this platform stands for. Mm. Cause it's certainly not an apolitical person. Mm. For sure. hundred oh, percent. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, let's not talk about that. Let, I think at least let's talk about the good side, which is over the last, week or two i i really experienced the old twitter if you know what i mean with the open ai you know drama and all even though there are trolls even the trolls were very sensible right they were they were trolling in a very sensible way they didn't cross the line at least to my uh you know the way i view things on on x twitter so that's the beauty of twitter i feel the reason why it still exists is regardless of what elon does or you know, all the other, all the negative side of it, you can still control what you view, right? The people you follow, you can control the set of things that you, you know, at least the for you page versus following the feed. Uh, and it's, it's all, it's a lot about like what you choose right now. You know, the, the buffet is there, <laughs> what you want to eat healthy or fatty or whatever it is that the last one week or two was very, I felt very good about Twitter because it's all breaking in the live. The news was, you know, coming out. People started like posting 
good jokes at least to me <laughs> they were not bad so i felt the old you know 2018 2019 twitter vibe which is you know more supportive more positive for the change or for the news that is happening that's where the, the whole town square town hall type of vibe is always about twitter right so uh in 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 this in this age why do you think linkedin is underrated compared to you know what what's happening with with twitter next oh i mean so i'm only two years or so into linkedin i think maybe like three um that platform is incredible um i think for all the reasons we've talked about where twitter can feel more negative and and let me let me zoom out i approached twitter from a business sense i was there to talk about like my industry share my mm. thoughts and analysis of brand social strategy and to meet my peers in the industry um so like i was using it in like a maybe a very specific way the linkedin i don't have a study that shows you this but linkedin has to be the most positive social network i, I you would i have to believe that um mm. and maybe that's anecdotal but i think the behavior that people enter platforms on matters and i think people enter tiktok to be entertained i think they enter twitter to have conversation mm -hmm. i think they enter uh instagram to present themselves or see what their friends are doing mm -hmm. people enter linkedin to find jobs hire people learn about their professions and for years you might have heard like linkedin's corny linkedin's corny mm -hmm. that corniness yeah. <laughs> is something that attracts me and i think it's become a lot more human over the last couple of years like mm. i think maybe the part of this is me aging up like i'm 35 now at 30 was i using linkedin not really at 25 i was only using it when i was doing job hunts but right. now like if i want to talk about whether it's a tough issue in the industry or highlight someone's work the energy and excitement from people is palpable like it's so much stronger than on any other social network. We're gonna get some snarky anonymous person who's gonna never really derail the conversation. And then that's yeah. where internet anonymity is a really interesting subject. You, I truly believe lack of anonymity is what makes LinkedIn far more positive because you're not gonna act like a jerk when your resume and your job are attached to your profile. Mm, interesting. And that's, that's, that's an emotional behavior. That's separate yeah. from the algorithm like where LinkedIn, it has the highest, um, the ratio of creators on LinkedIn to users of LinkedIn is the most out of whack of any social network. Like only a microscopic fraction of people are making LinkedIn content or even just like posting on LinkedIn. And mm. you can immediately see success by just putting your thoughts out there. They don't have to be crazy thoughts. You don't have to become a content creator. Just sharing a handful of professional thoughts, you'd be shocked how much more like notoriety you can get yourself, which if you're looking for a job or participating in the social network, that's fundamentally where people look for careers is a good thing. Mm, I never saw LinkedIn that way. It's always, I think uh, it's stamped in a way that when you go to LinkedIn, you'll get attacked by salespeople immediately instantly you get these dms flooded with dms saying that hey is, is are you hiring we can help you with this we can help you with that etc etc and all that but lately i'm also kind of that's why i joined bay for a reason you know we can talk about that later but 
that's one of the reasons i want to also build some sort of uh content there brand there as as a you know partial creator or not a full time creator at least is because you know i see a lot of people like you amanda and justin welsh like there are some folks who are leading by example saying hey linkedin is not bad you just mm-hmm. openly share your thoughts and to your point when you share there is a serendipity angle as well you know to your point which actually happened to me i want to touch upon uh your situation as well how you got your pitch job right uh through the serendipity on twitter i i built my career completely in the last five years just by connecting people creating you know posts on twitter so we can talk about that i i think this is even much more stronger when you do the same because it's a freaking platform for you know people hunting jobs right mm-hmm. and people giving jobs to others so it makes even more sense to produce more content create more, more content on on linkedin uh, but i think yeah i i i think i've haven't gotten the whole uh, vibe of linkedin i, I still feel uh, probably i might double i have to double down on you know being spending more time there uh, but yeah I'm, that's one of the reasons i want to you know i join you know break an egg newsletter because i get these ridiculously simple prompts that i can you know implement on a day to day basis talk to me about it like is that why you and amanda started you know the newsletter and i mean so so for anybody that doesn't know breaking break it is a program that myself and my friend amanda gets developed um where it's to help people who are professionals who are looking for jobs wanting to connect with peers find more mentors it's teaching people how to do that by creating their own content Um and we're mm-hmm. very it's very important to us that we don't people don't think we're trying to make you into a content creator. We're just encouraging you to share who you are as a professional and how you think because mm-hmm. with the job market the way it is, with job openings the way they are right now, mm-hmm. anything you can do to set yourself apart is important and content is probably the easiest way. And people think content's mm-hmm. very hard. Sometimes hard. There's an easier mm-hmm. way to do things. Um like Amanda and I both like we 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 didn't join Twitter or LinkedIn to become content creators that wasn't the goal we just wanted to like yeah. meet some people share some thoughts meet industry sure. peers um with break an egg like we what we've seen is and it's a $5 a month service mhm i love first- it, by the way after after tell you, i didn't mean to stop you there after tell you this i love the way you priced it because in in your in your launch tweet you literally literally said that getting a foot long sandwich is expensive nowadays yeah. and i want to make it less expensive than that so i love the 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 whole framing there we we left so much money on the table and we did that mm-hmm. on we did that on purpose like this is where it, it's very very important to me to give back to professionals who don't get career training um fi- like nothing's $5 now You can't yeah. do it. You can't even get a coffee for five dollars half the time. Now you That's add cool. one adjective to your coffee order, and it's seven bucks all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to do that, and it, you know what? I might have underpriced myself to like a, a mm. great fortune. I, I genuinely mm. don't care. I really mm. wanted people who are out of work to be able to make a no-brainer decision. I wanted young professionals who, like people in the first five years of their career, historically do not spend money on career advancement. they don't spend money on development. I wanted to help them understand that there's a lot of value in doing that. Mm. Um and I I just trust that 
then you mentioned Justin Welsh. I'm a big believer in his ideology of like math, like under promise and then massively over deliver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People who've never posted on LinkedIn are getting 20,000% increases in their engagement from mm. our program that they paid five bucks for. <laughs> mm. So we're seeing people get generate really incredible results. And I just trust that if we built something special that's going to help people, those people will tell other people about it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how you grow, right? Like you, you deliver, you know, insane value that other people couldn't keep to themselves. They obviously will burst, you know, out and say that, hey, I've... I've tweeted many times about break and egg because it's, I, I said this as well, like you should really rename, think about this, Jack, make it feel a banana because it's so <laughs> freaking simple. My gosh, like, you know, this, those are all like immediate. So one, I'll, I'll be honest and I will admit this. I consume the newsletter every day, <laughs> but I'm not posting on LinkedIn. Rather, I'm taking those prompts and posting on Twitter. I don't know why. <laughs> And that's totally fine. A lot of people are doing that. I'm now getting tagged in people doing it on Instagram, which was not a behavior mm -hmm. I anticipated. Um, right. We framed it as LinkedIn because Amanda and I are passionate about helping people do two things. One is learn how to speak about yourself. And then right. two is to help you find jobs. Um, right. But at their core, there are emotional triggers to help you talk about yourself wherever you want to do that. You might be a, like, if someone was a video person, they could make little vlogs about this sure, stuff yeah. very easily on any social network yeah. they choose. Um, yeah. There's people who use our program on Twitter. And then there's people who use our program for entirely different reasons. Like we've got, mm. I'd say the overwhelming majority of, of break and egg users, they're following the daily prompts. They're posting, if not every day, let's say four or five days a week. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a specific part of our audience where they're using it as brainstorming opportunities. So they like sure. getting the morning email. They may not write to our exact prompt, but they store it in their head, almost like we talked about at the beginning of the call, as far as like right. and theorizing. Mm -hmm. So like there's, and again, at five bucks, we want it to be something that's part of people's toolboxes forever right. as a helpful yep. resource on top of the community that we've built there, where it's like I think 1200 users now, um, mm. where people are very supportive of one another. They're learning from one another. Yep. People are making friends. They're getting hired from each other. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Like it, it acts like a soundboard to me. Uh, yeah. That's what I use break an egg. I, I, I read this. It feels like, you know what? Yeah, maybe I can reframe it in a different way that I feel comfortable with. And I just tweet it out. So, okay. uh, so let's, let's, I think this is a great transition to talk about building a personal brand on social media. Sure. And I feel what you're trying to do with break an egg is when you say, we want help people to narrate their stories or talk about themselves. It's not a very popular way because a lot of these times when you talk about yourself, the other set, again, the negative set, set of people will say, Hey, why are you bragging? Why are you like, you know, showing off and all that. So let's talk about building a personal brand. Talk to me about the, the elements of building a brand on social, according to you, which works in a more positive way. Sure. Um, I mean, and listen, like personal branding is still a new term. It's like a ten, like five years, 10 years old. So there's a lot that's changing, a lot that's developing in that space still. Um, and that's a common fear that I hear from people who are like, either want to post for themselves or want to join Break and Egg. Like, how do I avoid negativity? How do I avoid controversy? I don't want to get internet fights. Um, 
there's a way to approach this where you're almost foolproof to not have that happen. I'll say I'll never promise you 100%. Um, I started my personal brand. Like I fancied myself like almost like I was building a classroom. So mm. when I started tweeting about advertising, I would feature things that I didn't think were smart or things that I thought were very flawed. I'd break down what I thought was flawed about them. Um, and what I didn't realize when I first started doing this is that I built an audience large enough that that would get back to the people who worked on it. Mm. And I'm someone who like, I, I, I take criticism in stride. I find it interesting. I like to learn from it. Other people aren't like that. Um, so when we are building break an egg or when I'm helping people start personal brands, your taste for, I don't want to say controversy. It's an ugly word, but like, let's just say spiciness for lack of a better. <laughs> That's a controllable element of a personal brand because mm. you can build quite a brand for yourself by just highlighting other people's work that you think is very good just by curating things that you like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, the best way for people to start if you're building a professional personal brand is just mm -hmm. curate. Curate and highlights, tag the people responsible for it, tell them they did a great job, and mm -hmm. you become a resource to other people in your industry because like, oh, they follow you to see other stuff like that. I think it's the most easy, mm -hmm. foolproof, positive way to build a personal brand. Mm -hmm. I do think there are some ceilings to it. Um, I think... Like, I think one of the reasons that I've gotten hired for the jobs I've gotten is because I've shown like critical thinking mm -hmm. towards a lot of different types of work. And don't right. get me wrong, it came with plenty of cons. And I'm sure there's jobs I haven't gotten specifically because of that. Um, but that was true to who I am. Like being very, uh, thinking critically about work, that's what I'm most fascinated by. So a place mm. that didn't want to do that, like I've worked at places where there were the biggest value wasn't creativity or strategy. It was positivity. Mm. I'm a very optimistic guy and I like a really positive workplace, but that place wasn't for me because we couldn't have critical conversations. We couldn't even criticize our own work. Right. So, I mean, we're tangenting off from the personal brand stuff, but there's always a way to build a personal brand that's exclusively positive. Yeah, I think, I think the, like I said, the best possible ways to cheat others and curate, you know, curating is, in my opinion, is showing off your taste, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you kind of expressing, you have a, you have a grip on it. And on, on top, what you said is really true. You have to add your two cents. Why mm -hmm. this particular set is the best in copywriting, for example, or in advertising or in marketing. If you talk about, you know, various, you know, products or tools, why you think it's really that, that critical angle really helps you know people build that's that's exactly like you know what i did in my playbook when i started my journey on, on twitter i had like what 200 or less followers i used to post 50 tweets per day just showcasing hey this is what i really like about this is my two cents my take feel free to like you know take right. it or not that type of posts were very you know it was it's it was a volume about that and later like you know sharing about like my own thoughts so uh i think yeah that's the that's the best way i feel that's why breaking egg is such a you know such a simple yet powerful concept uh people can take advantage of i want to talk about uh let's switch gears a little, a little bit and talk about your you know 
your expertise as a creative strategist you know at various places twitch you know in other places i want to talk about one thing so you've done many campaigns successfully ideated executed launched you know made an impact so talk to me about how one should design a campaign especially an advertising campaign or even a marketing campaign how do you go about concepting pitching and you know selling that to you know a person or a, or a brand oof i mean <laughs> that's the full job that's that's the the big question right uh, i'll say that i think the maybe it's a little conceptual i think it's really important for everyone to develop their personal style when it comes to all of that stuff how they pitch how they communicate with clients how like what type of work they do how they work with other people um i'll say for me um what you're getting here this is very much how i've communicated with my clients for years um mm. I'm, I'm pretty casual i like talk try to speak like a human i don't try to be overly professional or anything like that um obviously respectful <laughs> but uh mm-hmm. I, i'm pretty casual with how i approach things uh my personal way that i have handled this industry is i'm trying to give you like the I want to put in front of you something that that you immediately understand, understand why it drives value to your business, show that I understand your business and that Mm. I can actually bring results through content, which like maybe that's obvious, Mm. but I also don't know if that's obvious. I've seen other people's presentations where they don't mention business goals. I've seen companies come in or social media managers come in where they they don't understand how the bottom line works or they don't even show interest in it. so it's it's a tough question to answer because you're you're kind of asking the whole the full how the job works thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I think the most important things are: Do you understand what the client actually wants to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Do you understand what their taste is, and do you understand what what abilities you and your team have to accomplish that? So you can pitch something that creatively and strategically makes sense for everybody. Mm, that's why it's basically you know asking some fundamental questions and really understanding about what they want at the end of the day that's you know that's that's like a like an yeah. approachable way to uh problem solving because one of the things uh, i keep on so i did like an audit uh in in when i was doing my master's at an ad- advertising course uh i audited it and the professor uh, said the worst brief anybody can give you is do anything you want. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. It's, 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 I get them all the time where I'd be like, oh, we just want to like hear some ideas. You know how many of those I sold over the last decade? Like, I can count on one hand. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's unreasonable. It shows clients that don't know what they actually want. It's asking advertising agencies for free work. Um, right. No, they never work. Like, Give specific briefs, <laughs> please. I'm right. begging everyone. Give people briefs. Yeah, I think that's that. I think these questions kind of unpack the specificity of a brief. What really they want? Uh, sometimes, well, if they don't live, you know, understanding totally. what they really the place where they're in that is really important, right? Like you know, as a client, uh, because you want some actionable numbers to happen, you can get lost in really expressing what you really want. So I feel for a, for a brand building exercise, I think that's a great way. 
uh, I want to ask ask about like a, you know about campaigns in your experience what are some campaigns that that failed miserably that you executed uh, <laughs> and some of the in from the, from from those campaigns what are the things that you actually learned that are life lessons what flopped let me think i mean there's certainly been a handful of them um what didn't work uh you know what <laughs> here's a good one um so i i worked on a rock band 4 mm-hmm. i led i led social strategy for them through the advertising so i was at um and that was a dream for me like i grew up playing guitar on rock band i remember telling one of my boss like go get us rock band i need to work on this and he got it. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and I think we did as great of a job as we possibly could have with a completely insane set of restrictions. Mm. Uh, the legality, their license agreements that they signed with the songs made it so I couldn't functionally even mention the songs half the time. I had to mention songs in, if I remember correctly, uh, in triplets, where I had to mention three songs at a time with, the, oh, with wow. only with special exceptions of that. Um I couldn't show pictures of the artists. I couldn't use the music from the artists. Like it was it, I was marketing a music music. <laughs> um and we came up with some like I mean I pitched some wacky stuff to try to get around that. Um and to try to deal with those rules. It performed fine. You, you know what happened is is the the social post that announced new songs outperformed everything. and the daily social content i made like the whole strategy was people know what rock band is at this point how do you get them excited about the soundtrack and how do you get them excited to make a hardware purchase when people weren't making hardware purchases anymore so strategically it was quite simple uh creatively it was an absolute pain in the ass and did it work i mean a rock band 5 hasn't come out so probably not uh but uh you know it was still it was fun but it was tough mm. and i would say and this is where there's only to your original question like like what what would you do differently or what do you take away from that if you don't give your marketing teams the the license to do what they need to do like not creative license i mean legal license <laughs> you can only accomplish so much mm. that's impre- interesting i've never been in you know any of those situations so i think it must have been like talking to lawyers dealing a lot of stuff going back and forth you know all the all the i mean it wasn't even negotiation we were just told and we're like wait really and they're like yep I'm like oh, oh that's that's tough so when it comes to pitching right where do marketers uh, stumble like what are some some things that marketers or like even advertising folks not just like that like when you pitch an idea to yourself right pitching works in different different ways you pitch for a client pitch for your boss pitch for yourself as a content creator anything that we should avoid you know that that actually makes the pitch great avoid um i think in a weird way this and this is very specific for social people in a weird way over professionalism can kill you sometimes like you want to be respectful and knowledgeable but i think you know i'm going to back all the way up it's shocking how many people are clearly not comfortable public speaking 
which maybe we don't think of an advertising pitch as public speaking, but it absolutely is. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I've pitched, I've pitched decks where it was me and two other people to win $17 million of work. And like to get good at that stuff, we had years of repetition. I took improv classes to get better at speaking. I've read books on how to present mm -hmm. yourself. I changed my wardrobe. Like I did a lot of work to figure out how to, to be an effective presenter and got very, very good at it and have, have my own style. I think do things like maybe not terribly differently, but certainly a little differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people don't invest in that kind of stuff and I think they need to. Um, and then within that practice, everyone's so I, sure. I knew, I knew it. You'll, you'll bring, bring that, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I am very, I will admit that when I give some of my like keynote talks now, I don't practice a ton because they're usually on topics I've spoken on before. Sure. But I mean, I, true story. Like I worked on a, I did a pitch for um, one of the Batman Arkham games way back when, like five, yeah. 10 years ago. Um, and I had this creative director. I was still like a senior strategist, a little younger, but we had this executive creative director who was brilliant. Like he, he was creatively strong. Clients adored him. He knew how to sell like, we knew we already won the pitch before he got in the room because of how he had sold the clients on the side. But when we practiced, even with all that, we practiced that pitch at least five times. And I made like a haphazard joke during one of the practice attempts in our, in our, at our agency. And he goes, you need to do that every time. And I was like, well, it's kind of <laughs> off the cuff. He goes like, no, 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 we're going to run it back. And every time mm. we practice that, I want you to make that joke. And then he mm -hmm. trained the other guy who I was making the joke to, to have the correct, like, follow-up to that. <laughs> and, like, people oh worry, God. like, oh, is it going to sound rehearsed? We rehearsed enough to where it didn't sound rehearsed. Mm, that's but, like, so no, I don't think people practice enough. Like, I don't think people practice enough for interviews. I don't think they practice enough for pitches. There is an amazing takeaway. I don't know if you realize. If you practice, like, few more, like, few to, like, you know, in a limited quantity, it feels that you are rehearsing something when you execute it, right? But to your point, if you practice so much that it becomes a second nature, then it feels like you're living it. You're not kind of reproducing what you practice. You're basically doing in, in flow. So oh, I mean, totally. Like I lived in uh, Los Angeles for much of my advertising career, which meant I had a 30 to 45 minute car ride to work and back every day. If I had a pitch day or like a pitch coming up, I would talk myself in the car on the drive there. Like it'd be a pitch that I had practiced and practiced mm. like my slideshow up. But then I'd run through it in my head casually and I'd try different things. I'd make different jokes and say different lines, different ways. But I just do that in the car to myself. And eventually you do enough of that stuff where it's like, to your point, it's just second nature. Like when I'm actually doing the pitch, I don't even know if I'm at the wheel. I'm just saying things that I've already said. Mm, that's amazing. I think. It's a, it's, it's a great way for every content creator, like to practice, practice, practice anybody, right? Like you're, you're, a, you're a athlete. So that's, I want to definitely touch upon the NBA stuff, but one thing about writing viral content, you, you have so many viral tweets. Uh, one of, one of my favorites is this tweet about when you Google symptoms about a disease, you'll, you'll find out about which diseases have the greatest SEO. Mm -hmm. I love that tweet so much. Talk to me about writing viral content. What is your framework or is there a framework if exists or you just write it out casually? How do you ideate? 
how do you bring up those ideas um i mean so that that's weirdly my most viral post of all time um <laughs> and like it's it's only casually related to what i've known for but uh if for some reason it really connected with people uh mm-hmm. as far as writing frameworks for social goes i'm a big believer in idea over everything um if I don't have a strong concept, it doesn't matter whether I write short form, long form, Twitter thread, essay, screen, uh, script, Ripping. nothing mm-hmm. will matter if the idea is not strong. Um, I think as far as formats go, I do struggle to believe that you can build an audience in 280 character tweets. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's tough. Like, it's funny. It's like to do, you look at music nowadays. I come from the rock world where like you got to sell albums, not playlists. Mm. A lot of times <laughs> a single is something to get you in, but what keeps you in is like a, a larger catalog of work. Sure. I think it's really hard to get known for anything. If you just write short form tweets, like the reason Twitter threads exist, it's not because like thread boys are trying to game the system. It's because people want to share more information than they could get in one tweet. Cause it's not, you can only get so far in that many characters. Um, so I will say I write long form more often than I write short form. Like that's, that's my design. So I can share more of the like more nuanced thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and long form looks like a lot of different things. When Twitter threads were more common, I would just, I do the Twitter thread format. And then I would copy paste that into LinkedIn, just turn it into like a short essay. Mm. Uh, with thread, I got really, I mean, I was known for my brand analysis threads and I became obsessed with how do I make each individual tweet a significant point that still leads to the next point hmm. to, to like the level of analysis where I knew if I had like a ringer, like idea within there, or like, let's hmm. say it was like the punchline where I'm explaining the concepts, I might number all the tweets in the thread, except for that one. So then that one would generate more retweets because I, th- I found that people were less likely to retweet tweet seven mm. of a threat. Right. So, so this is where like, we can get into those mechanicals. Mm. I don't think any of the mechanical stuff that I did mattered if the ideas weren't strong. And that's and, why I almost encourage, like, if, like, you'll see within Future Social, I really pumped telling people how to be like extremely tactical unless there's things that are can't miss algorithmically because I think what's most important is idea generation over everything. Mm. I really like the point about, you know, uh, not mentioning a thread number, you know, that's a, yeah. it feels like a no brainer now, but if you think about it, like there's a less chance of people tweeting or even, you know, sharing with others. Uh, when it comes to ideas, how do one go from bad ideas to good ideas to great ideas? Um, I mean, reps experience, like, can we, can we curse on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please we fuck around. Yourself. Like that's the mm. way to do this stuff. Um, I think it's, that's where we all have different values for what makes a, what the difference between a good idea, a great idea and like an amazing idea is. The things that I'm most proud of in my career are the thing that strategically made sense, got creative results, and also drove results for my client financially. And it was 
there's not a lot of tweets or individual posts that do that, but there's a lot of campaigns and nine month period of times that did. Um, I think it's reps. I think it's being open to feedback. Um, you don't have to agree with all the feedback you receive, but you need to hear it and understand why other people are giving you that feedback. Um, like we were mentioning how to pitch earlier. If a client or a potential client gave me feedback on my pitch, it wasn't my job to say whether that was like good or bad feedback. That was data for me to understand mm. how to properly sell to that person. And that's what I had to receive that as. It's like, mm. and maybe that meant I asked more questions. Maybe I started like casually pitching things like, oh, like, are you open to these sort of ideas? Or, oh, is this more important to you than maybe I realized? Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's hard to beat just repetition. Um, I also think this is where people in this industry start in one of two places. They're either highly social and then have to learn marketing or they're highly marketing skill set and then have to learn content entertainment and human connection. Those two groups need different advice. Um, if you're highly, highly social, keep thinking as big social media ideas as possible, but focus on trying to attach that to strategic pillars of what the client's trying to achieve. If you're on the opposite end and you understand like messaging, these are communication like focuses, then that person needs to be told brainstorm wildly. Cause if that's your core, you're not going to pitch something that's off brand because it's so built into your brain. Mm. So it's tough to give like a, a blanket advice there. Sure. Um, I'll just say that at the end of the day now, like there's so much content in the world. If it's not, either wildly entertaining or wildly educational, you're probably not yeah. going to get seen. I think that's the formula right there. Ish, you know, the two checkbox, uh, even, you know, when I think about like how Mr. Beast has or this many views or like, you know, all that, it's very widely entertaining. Either you check off one of those boxes, educational or informational, which I learned something, or it just gave me a dopamine hit. Because well, you know, it's not, like I adore Jimmy. Like I think Jimmy is a genius. I think he understands content and businesses in a way that's truly shocking. Mm. It's not highbrow stuff. Like it's the concept's right. It's like you can hear how every idea they've ever had started with a crazy brainstorm of what if, what mm. if I. Um, and I'm always like, I, I think you got to think about social that way. But I also know a lot of social managers where that's all they do. And they don't understand the business they work for and they do like unhinged stuff or things that don't strategically make sense. There's a happy medium between those two things. Right. Yeah, for sure. One of the well, other things about, you know, uh, people who work in social uh, branding, advertising is about timing, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pick a trend, execute a trend, ideate it, make it great. So a lot of times people are under a lot of pressure which is good, good pressure. Like that pressure will, you know, put them in places like, you know, like a, like a three point shot in the, you know, fourth quarter, like last, you know, 30 seconds or so. Uh, how do you handle that pressure? And now that, now that you're a creator, maybe, you know, you, you, you have your own rules because you, you work openly with your own rules. But when you worked at Twitch, even in other companies, other agencies, how did you handle that pressure? And what are the things that you learned about timing? Um, I mean, as far as pressure goes, for, for better or worse, I just never felt that. 
And a lot of people do. Like I've definitely, I've pitched projects where people are going to get laid off if we didn't win it. Like I've pitched projects oh where the business was going to change if we didn't win it. Like that's been oh. a big part of my career. And mm. I think I was less worried. Like, I don't know what's actionable from this. For whatever reason, I was just so intent on making sure it worked that I didn't feel pressure from it. Um, as far as timing goes, I think timing is a big part of professional career, about uh, especially professional creative careers. I think uh, something I always made sure to do was when I had a project that I knew the product was good, I crushed it. I knocked it out of the park. Because there's a lot of things that I worked on that were like, tough like i wasn't gonna go viral or sell like become a bestseller in some categories because like content marketing was maybe not the best place for that product but then when i worked on like i ended up one of my first big projects was a zombie video game called dying light and mm. we remember and we were doing like playing the beta of it me and my creative partners were like oh my god this game's good like it's really good and mm. that inspired how we handled that campaign and we knocked it out of the park like, so we took great products and made great marketing. It's very tough to make great marketing for products that don't have product fit or have like a big issue. Like I worked for Yahoo for many years. That's, it's not easy to market Yahoo. <laughs> Even like Yahoo has some great products. Yahoo Sports is very fantastic. It's like very much one of the leaders. Still not the easiest thing in the world. I worked right. for Verizon, who's like, I, I believe they're the, the number one carrier, mm. but you're still mostly getting customer service complaints. Hmm. so like it's part of it's just like you take the situations for what they are you try to put yourself in the best situations possible and you try not to pull your hair out when you're not an easy one hmm. i like that it's it's you know uh it is also challenging to do something creative when the product is mediocre right like hmm. uh, you have less drive um, motivation because there's nothing to that excites you i don't know how you manage but it looks like <laughs> You came out of well. Uh, one of I know we're like you know almost on the time. A uh, couple of more questions. I'm curious about a NBA. Let's talk about NBA basketball. Sure. You, you have a lot of passion, not just playing ball, but also doing incredible campaigns with NBA itself, right? Like NBA with Amex, DoorDash, and you know that's game uh, campaign at Twitch. What's it like to work? on something that you really, really love? Like, you know, how should people find that? Find that sweet spot? Sure. I mean, listen, there are pros and cons. Um, like, I'm very, very proud of the things that I've worked on. Uh, se I mean, separate from the NBA, a story that I tell a lot is, I've worked for my favorite TV show of all time, and I've worked mm -hmm. for my favorite video game of all time. One was the best year of my career, and one was the, one of the hardest years of my career. Normally, people don't know. I try to uh, make sure people don't know what they are. I've already mentioned Rock Band. Rock Band mm -hmm. was one of the hardest things I ever worked on. But then I worked on the TV show Community and had an absolute blast. And that was because I loved it and because of uh, the way the clients worked with us. They allowed us access to do things. Um, I do think your relationship with the product and industry you work on is like a really nuanced subject. Um, Cause basketball and music are my top two interests. I intentionally did not pursue a careers in either because they didn't pay well, they were oversaturated and they're overworked. But 
I did good enough work that I found my way back into those spaces where mm -hmm. like when I worked for Beats by Dre, like, okay, that's music. I wasn't planning mm -hmm. on this, but that's music. Spotify too. Uh, and then obviously got to do some campaigns with the NBA for Twitch. Um, mm -hmm. The, I think it's a personal question as far as where you get your, your value from. For me, I love solving puzzles. And mm. that was more important to me than to work in a specific industry. Mm. So when I got to work in the industries I love, wonderful. Were there a couple of clients in my favorite industries that like were really, really tough? A thousand percent. Mm. I think it's about challenging yourself, right? I think sure. yeah, maybe with MBA and the music thing, you're very comfortable. But if, if there is like a curveball that is out of coming out of like you know, nowhere, that 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 pushes you, you know, through the boundary. And like and like and do you can you handle like when you're finally working on something you love if it doesn't go the way you want to? Hmm. That's interesting too. Yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> that's a good question for a for a retro retrospect. Last thing I want to talk about. Uh, I have so many other questions. By the way, I didn't ask. As you can see, there are like so many <laughs> takes that are so empty ones because we only have some limited time. Probably will bring you back. Let's talk about one of the things I personally believe in, and I've experienced this. I've kind of put a megaphone on so many people that you should believe in as well is the serendipity that works on social, right? People build personal brands, people got li their lives changed just because they put themselves out authentically and transparently expressing themselves. And the whole doing things in public I love that I've experienced, lived that. So your one of the things you've experienced is when you got, you know, uh, when you let down, laid off around COVID time, you literally got hired through a DM in within minutes, if I'm not wrong. So talk to me about the whole serendipity and why people should really hone into serendipity on social and how did you do it? Yeah. Um, so again, this is where I'm now preaching something that I didn't even realize I was doing at the time. Um, I knew I wanted to, I, I, the whole reason I started tweeting was to try to meet some people in the industry, maybe find jobs. And I've, and I mean, I've been hired from my social media several times now. Um, so Spotify, the way I worked with them, one of their product managers slid in my DMs. It's like, hey, I'd love to work with you. What can we figure out? And then I brought several hundred thousand dollars of Spotify work into my ad agency. And I worked on two Spotify campaigns. Mm. Um, for Twitch, yeah, I mean, I had just for years at that point, I think I had like far less than I have now. I think I had like 30,000, 40,000 followers. Um, and I, it was the first time I'd ever not had a job after tweeting about advertising for five years. So I was able mm. to put up a tweet like, hey, I'm available. <laughs> like looking for these kind of things, like curious to hear what's out there in the world. Um, that tweet did a quarter million impressions. Um, wow. A lot of really kind, respected people retweeted it or like even Thompson saying like, Jack knows what he's doing. Hire Jack. Um, and something like, I forget now, maybe like 12 minutes afterwards, I got a DM from the woman who become my boss at Twitch saying like, Hey, would you be interested in working here? And what's funny is I originally said, like, ah, mm, that position doesn't seem like the right one for me. And then she's like, oh, sweet baby angel. Here's what that job actually is like. Oh, yes, I actually would love that. Because <laughs> um, the titling is different at, at um, 
tech companies versus agencies. Right. Um, and like three months later, I was working at Twitch. Like mm. when I was at Twitch, Morgan Bruce started recruiting me through DMs. And after like a year of negotiations, I left, I left Twitch for Morning Brew. The job that mm. took me to New York was from the DMs. I, had, I was DMing with a woman who I really looked up to and wanted to learn from. Uh, and I was like, telling her, I don't really know what I want to do with my career. And she's like, why don't you move to New York and work for me? It's like, wait, what? Mm. Like, so like, this all happened because I put my thoughts on the internet. So powerful. I feel, you know, it's so not, not many people realize that. And I feel totally. Uh, we should amplify these stories. That's why I really asked that question. Uh, Jack, I, I can go on and on, but I do this segment, which is the end of the episode. I have this rapid fire five, like five questions. Sure. Just fire you. Uh, so let's start there. Whoever comes to your mind, whatever the thing come to your mind, like, you know, just shoot it out. Uh, if you're rooting for a creator right now, who would that be? Um... I mean, I work in creator marketing, so there's like a million I'm thinking of. Uh, there's one who I really like, and this is like a very personal one for me. Um, there's a basketball creator named Dabbly Duck. I, like, I've just recently become a basketball creator myself for fun. There's a lot of basketball content out there that is not the most positive, mm -hmm. not the most optimistic, and not the most accessible. Mm -hmm. He's all about making basketball as easy for people to understand as possible. He does in this very, like, for lack of a better phrase, adorable way. He's got this like whole like persona to him. Um, mm. I just really love his content and what he's trying to achieve. Love that. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely give him a shout out. Uh, what's your favorite advertising, copywriting, marketing, you know, book that you recommend? Um, this isn't specific to advertising, but it's for careers it's called the first 90 days. Um, okay. I think it is the, it's, it's a Bible for someone who's starting a new job or just got a promotion, or even someone who just wants to like be better at their job. Like it is a checklist of how to build internal rapport, what you need to accomplish, how to communicate with your boss. It's perfect. Wow. I haven't heard of it. We should, you know, we should get it. Uh, which creative campaign that inspired you the most? Like all, what is your all time favorite creative campaign? Um, I'll tell you the one that made me think advertising could be really cool was a uh, Nike basketball mm. 15 years ago. I was a kid. Um, they did a campaign where they made a fake basketball team called the Roswell Ray guns. And <laughs> okay. it was Vince Carter and Jermaine O'Neal. And they, they were promoting like Vince Carter's shocks at the time. Okay. Um, and I remember as a kid going, wait, whoa, that's like not a real team. And all the commercials featured this team that had this cool little alien logo. Um, mm -hmm. And they've, it, it became cultish enough where Nike brought it back for an apparel line like two or three years ago. Like, and I think wow. it might have been the 20-year anniversary of it. But it just really unlocked my brain. I was like, oh, like not all ads just have to be ads. You can do crazy things with that. Mm, I like that. I should check it out. Nike does a phenomenal job in advertising. Nike, Apple, they have, they're on another level. Uh, a couple of more questions. So when it comes to copywriting, like ads i'll tell you mine but what is your favorite copywriting ad oh man just copywriting uh i don't know if i have one that comes to the top of my head i'm curious what yours is mine is lemon the volkswagen one. Oh, iconic yes legendary it's ad it's uh, so legendary it has everything it has paragraphs and everything with the the beetle there yeah 
pretty iconic. I'll tell you, I'll tell you some of my favorite writing in general for an ad. Um, is there was a Super Bowl commercial a couple years back for um, I believe it was it's not great that I can't remember which car it was. I think it was Hyundai uh, for Smart Park, and they mm. had a couple of famous actors saying Smart Park in a Boston accent. So it was entertaining <laughs> and hit the name of the feature over and over again. Genius ad. Love that. Lastly, who's your favorite NBA player you want to ball with? Oh, my God. I mean, currently, Luka. I love Luka Doncic so much. Um, my favorite player of all time is Shaq. Like, I grew up playing a back-to-the-basket center. I was, I was a post-move guy, and Shaq was my idol. Wow, awesome. Jack, yeah. this has been a pleasure. Man, I've had so much fun, and I learned a ton about advertising, branding, personal brands, uh, you know, what questions should ask people, you know, when you think about, like, you know, doing awesome content. Love talking to you. You're so easy, so awesome, you know, so authentic. Uh, appreciate you for joining. Any any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Um, no, I just, I hope people take a chance on themselves with their careers. I think like life's too short to hate what you do. Mm-hmm. I think you got like, it's worth putting some time and effort to figure out what you would enjoy and how you get the most fulfillment out of your job. And then worth fig- spending time to figure out how to get better at your job or accomplish whatever you want to accomplish in your job. I think it's really easy to to kind of take your hands off the wheel and like live life without intention. And I hope people live with more intention. I love that intention. That's the game. That's the that's where you know uh, that's where that pulls you in the right direction. Jack, appreciate you. Thank you so much, folks, for joining, tuning in, listening, viewing, whatever you're doing with this episode. Uh, we do this for for this reason to you know hopefully teach you something uh, out of this conversation so i hope you learned something from jack as well but we'll we'll put all the you know all the things that jack mentioned in the show notes uh, as well as links but stay tuned stay tuned for more episodes we have awesome awesome creators entrepreneurs founders vcs you know joining the show till then thank cheers. you